Thank you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. morning church and I just want to welcome everyone this morning who have gathered here here and those who have joined us on live stream and I just want to greet you in the mighty name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ I'm glad that you have chosen to join us this morning I hope this message today will edify you convict you as it has done to me now we are going through the book of Nehemiah And I never thought that I was going through this, that this historical narrative can give such valuable lessons to every one of us. There's a lot to learn, and as you go through this, it's like reading a case study. Now, it's always good to learn from others' mistakes. What I've learned here is that I'm seeing the mistakes that the children of Israel have made, And I'm able to appropriate those mistakes and understand those mistakes. And I can see that how we too do the same thing over and over again. And we are expecting different results. Now today, church, we are in the second half of the book of Nehemiah where we are looking at the restoration of the people of Judah. When we started with chapter 8... We saw the power of the Word of God in the, in the believer's spiritual revival. And we learned that the primary response was godly repentance and confession. And that's what we saw even in chapter 9. In the, when last time when, we, when I was here, we looked at verses 1 to 25, and we learned two spiritual disciplines. Number one, we realized that we should set aside time to remember. Remember what? Remember the faithfulness of God. Now, as we looked at it, we realized that their remembrance was taken a systematic approach from creation to the election of Abraham to the redemption from bondage for his glory and interacting in a very personal way, meeting all the needs of the children of Israel through the wilderness, but yet protecting them from all the perils of life. So that's the remembrance part. And the second time that we, the second lesson that we learned is that we should set aside time to recognize who our God is from chapter 9. We looked at his prominence, his greatness, his promises, the covenant that we made, his power of redemption, his personality that he was a personal God a relational God, and His provision, and also His protection. Now today we are going to look at the last half of of chapter 9, verses 25 to 38, and we'll be looking at two things in specific. One is to reflect on how the ancestors, the forefathers, responded to this God. And secondly, to respond as to how we as children of God should respond to this God, what lessons we can learn 
for today's. It's a life application. So the first thing is to reflect on how the forefathers responded. As we go through this observation, as I said before, we'll be seeing a pattern which will be a great lesson for all of us. It's a great case study, church. So I just want you to pay close attention to this because it's a case study that helps us in our own spiritual formation. So let's pick from verse number 25. And as it appears on the screen, just follow along as I read this. And they took strong cities, they meaning the children of Israel, talking about their forefathers, and a rich land and possessed houses full of all goods, cisterns already dug, vineyards, olive groves, and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and grew fat, delighted themselves in what? Your great goodness. Church, what you see here is you, what you see here is their prosperity. See how prosperous they have been in this passage, how it is described. They had cities, they had lands, they had goods, they had cisterns, they had vineyards, they had olive groves, fruit trees. They ate, they fulfilled, they grew fat, and they were delighted. So they are at the peak of this prosperity. I just want every one of us to think of our own lives when we experience the prosperity of our lives. Now, I'll explain that in a minute. But now see how they behave on the next verse. Verse 26. It begins with the word, nevertheless. What does that mean? It means, in spite of this. That's what it means. So the Holy Spirit is writing the prosperity of the children of Israel, and it says, nevertheless, in spite of that, something happens. What happens? Let's look at that. They were disobedient and rebelled against you, cast your law behind their backs, and killed your prophets who testified against them to turn them to yourself, and they worked great provocations. What does this speak about? This speaks of their pride and arrogance. I have it all attitude. I am at the peak. I don't need anything. When their eyes were taken off from the Lord and turned on them, on their own accomplishment, seeing the prosperity around them. You know what they thought? I did it. It's mine. I don't need the Lord anymore. Does it sound familiar to you, church? So what happens next? Let's look at verse number 27. Now, therefore, you delivered them into the hand of their enemies who oppressed them. It speaks of God's judgment now. Yes, our merciful God has no tolerance for sin. So the Bible says they delivered to their enemies. Now see what happens after that. When the Lord took off his protection, what did they do? Look at it. Look at the second part of 27. And in their time of trouble, when they cried out to you, in their time of trouble, when they cried out to you, we see the repentance of the children of Israel. Let's keep going. It's an interesting passage. What happens next, church? God restores them. We see that in, in verse 27, as we look at this, you heard from heaven. And according to abundant mercies, you gave them deliverers who saved them from the hand of their enemies. Wow. 
What a mighty God. What a merciful God that they serve and we serve. Let's keep reading. Verse 28. But, wow, there's a break. But it speaks of their pride and arrogance. Look at what happens here. But after they had rested, so they are comfortable in their blessings, they have got back, to their, back, to, back their prosperity. What do they do next? They again did evil before you. Their arrogance led to evil. Therefore, follow along as I read this, you left them in the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. And we see God's judgment now. Now what do they do? Look at the next verse again. Yet when they returned and cried out to you, you heard from heaven. So they came back and they repented. And the Bible says God heard from heaven. And here's the last part. I want you to see this. And many times you delivered them according to your mercies. It speaks of God's restoration. Church, we see a cyclical narrative in this particular in these verses, and it continues. Look at verse 29. It talks about their pride and arrogance, which is leading to evil, and testified against them that you might bring them back to your law. Yet they acted proudly. Do you see again the pride? And did not heed your commandments, but sinned against your judgment, which if a man does, he shall live by them. And they shrugged their shoulders, stiffened their necks, and would not hear. It speaks of their sheer arrogance. Yet, verse 30, Yet for many years you had patience with them, in spite of all that these children of Israel were doing. The Lord showed patience and testified against them by your spirit in your prophets. It speaks about God's mercy. And then he talks about the arrogance again. Yet they would not listen. They were not willing to listen. Therefore, speaks about God's judgment again. You gave them into the hand of the peoples of the land. Do you see the pattern, church? Look at verse 31. Again, it speaks of God's mercy, His restoration. Nevertheless, the same word appears again. In spite of all these, in your great mercy, you did not utterly consume them, nor forsake them. For you are a God, gracious and merciful. It speaks of God's mercy. Church, we do see a cyclical narrative in this text, isn't it? The behavior of the children of God. The Lord gives them prosperity. They forget who gave it. Pride said sin, which leads them to apostasy. Now the Lord takes his hands off them, passes judgment. Then they cry to the Lord. God in his great mercy, he does not consume them, nor forsakes them, but restores them. Then he grants them prosperity again. Then they forget who gave it. And the cycle continues. That's what you are seeing here. So what do we gather from this? 
the cyclical pattern of behavior. When things go, went well for them, they, they not only forgot God, but they turned to other gods. God disciplined them by allowing other nations to conquer them, but God absorbed their disloyalty repeatedly, over and over again, showed lots of mercies. In His great mercy, He kept restoring them. Church, here's the, here's the message to you and me. This pattern is not just for the forefathers. It is not just for the children of Israel. It is true of ourselves. You and me. I want you to look at this spiritual formation cycle I came up with. So please bear with me as I show you this. And I just want you to follow along. First is that our prosperity, when everything is going well for us. So I need to define the term prosperity because of how it has been used today in, the, in most Christian circles. I'm referring to 3 John 1, 2, where it talks about, uh, John says, Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. I'm not talking about the monetary prosperity. It is an experience that impacts every part in your life. That is what the Lord has promised to give it to His children of Israel and to all of every one of us. He provides prosperity to His children. There is emotional prosperity that grants us peace and joy in the midst of storm. That's prosperity, church. There is spiritual prosperity. He guards our faith. There is, there is physical prosperity. He keeps us protected from the attack of the enemy. There is financial prosperity. This meets all our needs according to His perfect will. Life becomes too comfortable for us. You say, all I have need, thy hands have provided God. However, when we reach that point in our life soon, we attribute the success to ourselves. We forget from whom we received this prosperity. And to our own intelligence, we say, I did it myself. To our own efforts, we become prideful and arrogant, and that's what leads to next. The prosperity, if you're not careful, that leads to arrogance. Spiritual arrogance is the deception that our strength is our own, and it cuts off from our foundation in Him. The very things we take pride in will be the weight that brings us down, church, if you're not careful. The very things that we are taking pride in what we have achieved comes nothing because we are no longer connected to the source, the power that gave it to us. We lose the vital connection to our anchor and sustainer. Then we get into a stage of arrogance, pride. And where does that lead to? That leads to apostasy. Spiritual arrogance leads us to a form of apostasy because we now attribute the success to a different God. With a small g, that's ourselves. Apostasy is essentially a falling away, withdrawal and of, or abandonment of Christianity. There will be a form of godliness in us, but the Lord is not within us. Let me repeat that. There is a form of godliness. We go every Sundays, we read every Bible, we, we attend every prayer. But the Spirit of the Lord is not within us. Meaning that we are not listening. We are not uh, complying 
with what the Spirit is saying. If you are a true believer, Spirit is always within you. But you are not listening. You are not paying attention. And Paul says you are having a form of godliness and denying its power. So what does this apostasy, this apostasy state will lead you to God's judgment, obviously. The Bible is very clear. In, in Romans, Paul writes that, and the Jews who do have God's law, like every one of us, we know what's good, we know what's, what's right, we have the commandments of the Lord, will be judged by the law when they fail to obey it. We will be judged, church. And the Lord, He judges us to the believers, He corrects those He loves. Just as parents correct the child that they delight in. So now when, the, when you are judged, you will come running to the Lord. How many of us have done it? I have done it many times. I'm in the peak of my career, success, and then all of a sudden the arrogance, and then it leads to apostasy. I did it all. Then God hits you hard. Then you come back to the Lord. It brings you to repentance. It's the surety of judgment should cause the sinner to turn to the Savior and to cast himself on the mercy of God in Christ. Now when you repent, because of his compassionate love, you see that in all my letters to you, Lamentation chapter 3, that's my favorite verse. Because of his compassionate love, we are not being consumed. Instead, he will restore us. Now the Lord's hand is upon us. He begins to prosper us. Let me be clear again, the prosperity. I'm not talking about material or worldly prosperity as the world sees it. He prospers us emotionally, spiritually, and financially. Then again we become arrogant. The cycle starts again, it continues. Church, many of us fall into this trap of cyclical behavior. We cry to the whole world to pray for our needs, emotional, spiritual, physical, and financial. Once our prayers are answered, we get into a comfort zone. We forget who restored that prosperity. The spiritual arrogance sets in and leading to an apostate state of moving away from the foundation of our faith. The Lord whispers, He speaks to us, and He starts shouting at us. Then... We face judgment on, in one for and, and the other and we repent and we come running to the pastors and elders and every Tom, Dick and Harry and ask for prayers and, and God shows mercy and He restores us. This cycle is short-lived. So how do you break this cycle? That's the question. How do you break this? That's what we are going to learn today in verses 25 to 38 as we read through chapter 9. So I'd encourage you to turn in your Bibles, church today, and we're going to look at from verses 32 to 38, just a few verses. As we read through chapter 9, we see the Israelites are in a very similar situation as they reflected on the spiritual journey of their forefathers. What are they doing to break this cycle? So as we examine this case study, I use the word case study, it's a great narrative, after recalling the cyclical behavior of the forefathers, they are taking some strong steps here in verses 32 to 38 to break this recurring behavior. There are four lessons we are going to learn and which is very applicable to all, all of us. And let me give you what the lessons are and then we'll break it down. 
First, we are going to admit our condition, verses 36 to 37. First, we, first one starts with admission. Number two, we need to address the cause. We should understand what caused it, verses 33 to 35. Then we should acknowledge who our God is. And last but not least is we should agree to a new commitment. So these are the four things we are going to look at very quickly. So to break this cycle, the first thing we ought to do, church, look at verses 36 to 37, is that we see these children of Israel who have, who have come back after the bondage in Babylonian, and they come back and they're starting a new life and they, and they examine the life of the forefathers and they realize the mistakes they have made. They want to break the cyclical behavior. And the first thing they are doing is they're admitting their current condition. Admitting simply means they are being vulnerable with God. Church, when I make that statement, you should be laughing, isn't it? How can you be vulnerable with God? Because God sees everything. He's an omniscient God. He sees your thoughts. So it's not that you need to come and tell God who you are because God sees your heart. God sees the innermost being of you, every iota of you, every part of you, even your secret closet, God sees it, He knows it. But you know, being vulnerable to God is a true sign of true confession. Admitting. And you speak, and we can see the, how they did that. They speak of the consequences of their sins. Let's look at verse 36 to 37. There are four consequences of their sin that they state here. First, they say, look at verse 36. As the consequence of their sin, number one, they say how their relationship has changed. Look at this number, verse here, number one. Here we are servants today. Verse number 36, isn't it? In the KJV, they put it nicely. Behold, we are slaves today. The children of Israel, the chosen one, to whom this land was promised. Who thought that they are entering into a land that is flowing with milk and honey. We are slaves today. Church, this, God, this is our land and we should be sovereigns in our land, but we are slaves today in our own land. Church, it was one thing to be a slave in a foreign land, but to be a slave in your own land was quite another, isn't it? And many of us have asked the same question. God, yes, I'm not the head, I'm only the tail, but I see that you'll make me the head and not the tail. I am a slave today in my own land. Secondly, look at the same verse again. But see, we are slaves today in the land you gave our ancestors so that they could eat its fruit and the other good things it produces. Church, the promise was very clear. Here is the land that is, I'm giving to you, my children, and in this land, I'm giving to you that so that you can eat its fruit and other good things. But that's not what's happening, God, today. That's what they're saying. Their admission here. They are seeing the good things that were intended for us, God, are consumed by our enemies. Look at the second last part of it. And it yields much increase to the kings you have set over us. 
verse 36. I'm sorry. The produce is to be enjoyed by our ancestors, but someone else is reaping from our sweat. How many of us have said that? God, I seem to be working hard. Nothing is left for me and my household. It sounds familiar, church. I'm not coming out of my struggles. I'm still in debt. I'm financially, emotionally, physically, and, and spiritually. Someone else is enjoying it. It's not me. Thirdly, in 37, the second part, they say, their rulership, they say, because of our sins, also they have dominion over our bodies and our cattle at their pleasure, and we are in great distress. We have nothing to ourselves, God, today. All that we have is under the, the dominion of others. It just actually piggybacks on what, what I just said earlier. In essence, they are saying, God, I don't, we don't have the financial freedom. We don't have the physical freedom. We don't have the emotional freedom. We don't have the material freedom. We are in bondage. That's what they are saying here. And then last, but what they say in this verse is that we are in great distress. The Bible says, in his presence there is fullness of joy. God, I have lost my joy. I am in distress, God. I am supposed to be walking with joy. Not only we don't have the freedom, we are in great distress. I'm in anxiety, I'm in sorrow, I'm in pain. I've lost the peace of my life. I'm fearful, I'm nervous, I'm anxious. That's the condition they are in. And many of us are in the same condition. Church, how many of you, and those who are listening, how many of you can relate to this cry today? So what do we learn from this church? Reconciliation is not possible until you are willing to understand and admit your current pathetic stage. Be true to yourself. Be true to God as you come to the Lord. You need to take an inventory of your life. There is no point of throwing things under the carpet and hiding it and just, for the, just optically for the others to see. Let's call the spade the spade in our own lives. Be quick to admit and accept your condition. The Lord knows He's an omniscient God. The admission is only helping us, a God, for every one of us to look at ourselves in the mirror. This is my condition today. I am a slave. I should be having all these by now. I'm not. Someone else is enjoying it. I'm under the dominion of somebody else. I'm in distress. Every day, there's no peace in my life. Being vocal about your sins is the first step in breaking that cyclical behavior that we looked at. So the first thing we saw is to, in order to break that cyclical behavior, we must admit and own up our condition. And secondly, we are going to look at verses 33 to 35 here. We see them addressing the cause of this condition. It should have taken a lot of courage for them to speak like this to the God. The way they address the cause is by spelling out the sins they have committed, taking ownership for their sins and failures. Look at verse 33. Their confession begins by first declaring who they have sinned against. God, you know, I know I cheated the, the CRA. I know I cheated my boss. I know I cheated my friend. I know I cheated in my business. But no, God, I cheated you. 
However, you are just in all that has befallen us. What are they saying here, church? God, you are the righteous God. Accepting the judgment as righteous. Whatever I am experiencing today, whatever the condition that I am in today, God, I deserve it. Why? Because you are a righteous God. They are not fighting with God. They agree, yes, Lord, I deserve this. I don't like this. I wish that you had not permitted this trial in my life. I admit it. I deserve it. Because you're righteous. I remember, church, when I first met with the accident about so many decades ago. Six months I was on the bed and I came out of the hospital and I went to the doctors and the doctors looked at me and said, uh-uh, you have a problem, you'll not be able to run. Six months. I realized at that moment of time, I said, God, where are you? I blame God, honestly. Until God spoke to me. And I realized you are a just God. When do I know that you are a just God? When I saw how God used my failure for his glory. When I yielded myself to him. They recognize that God has been just in his dealings with them. Not asking why God, why? That's what we do most of the time. They come and ask, why God? I don't want to pray on a Sunday. I don't want to come to church. I don't want to attend Bible studies. I don't want to do this, that, and the other. Now, God, I have a problem. Pastor, why am I facing this problem? Come on, look at yourself in the mirror. Their, their trials are church. Let's understand this. Not because God has forsaken them. He had been merciful. He was sending prophet after prophet, preaching repentance in the face of judgment. But the people had rejected the call of God and were forced to suffer the consequences of their sinful ways. Because he is a just God. There was no one to blame. You cannot blame God for what you are experiencing. Mercy was extended for years and it was ultimately when it was rejected that deserved judgment came. So, child of God, if you are experiencing, the first question you need to ask yourself is, is it a deserved judgment on myself? What are the unconfessed sins that I am carrying on in my life? I don't know, but certainly you know it. We have to admit that God has been righteous in his dealings with us as well. He has been patient and merciful. We're all born in sin and we deserve judgment. But God offered mercy. If we don't change our cause and return to him, judgment will surely come. And when it does, we'll have to say as Judah did that here, God, you are righteous. You are just in dealings with us. So after admitting the righteousness of God, now they confess the rebellion of the people. Look at this, verse number 34. Neither our kings nor our princes, our priests nor our fathers have kept your law. See, I love this. They are very honest and open about this. They did not keep the law, nor heeded your commandments, your testimonies with which you testified against them. The kings, the priests, the princes, and even their fathers, as well as themselves, they say, they have turned away from the Lord for the pleasures of the flesh. They say, God, everyone is guilty as charged. Church, please understand their admission. They say, neither our king nor our princess, our priests, nor fathers have kept your law. 
nor heeded your commandments and your testimonies, with which you testified against them. You know what this means, church? We have gone to Bible studies. We have read the scriptures. We have even memorized the scriptures. We have quoted the scriptures. But we have not obeyed. We have not digested the scriptures. We did not allow the word to do its work in our lives. That's what they are talking about here. It means that we were stubborn and we are, we are prideful and we defied and we did what we want, as Paul says in the book of Romans. It's not me that's doing it. Paul is putting it in verse 17, chapter 7. As it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. And then he said, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Why? Because it is the sin living in me. I yield myself to the sinful nature. Now, next verse, 35. That's the clincher, church. Look at this. When, listen everybody very carefully, and those who are serving the Lord, that's very important for us. When you are not giving heed to the commandments, when you are not keeping the law, no matter what position that you hold in the church, no matter what ministry that you are involved in, you are not serving God. Come along with me. Look at verse 35. For they have not served you in their kingdom. Talking about everything, how they have rejected his word, how they have abandoned his worship for the gods of this world and not serving the Lord. Church, when you show no interest in studying the word of God, allowing the word to do its transformation in your own spiritual walk, you will not be able to serve the Lord. It's those who obey, those who give heed to word, who will be able to serve Him faithfully. This is why I appeal to every one of us, as believers, we must lead by what? Example. Lead by example. We are quick to advise somebody, but to lead by example. So in order to break this cyclical pattern, we looked at two things so far. Firstly, we had to admit our condition. Second is to address the cause and address the sinful, the consequences of the sin. And thirdly, we see that in verse 32, we see the acknowledgement of who this God is. It's very personal to them. Look at this, verse number 32. Now, therefore, our God, the great and mighty God, the mighty and awesome God who keeps covenant and mercy. There are three observations we see here in this verse. How they address this God. God of the forefathers. But here's how they're addressing. Personalizing this God. First they say it's our God. They begin with the genuine recognition of who He is to them. They realize that He was a personal God. The God of the Bible. Yes. They would have thought about this. Yes, we endured the bondage in Babylon. Yes, we returned to a land and we were ravaged by the enemies and we are still under bondage and a very difficult existence but through it all we recognize that God has not forsaken us church no matter what situation that you are in that is your God my God he has not forsaken us it's us who have not come closer to him he is still 
our God. They see him as their God and not just the God of the forefathers. He is a personal God. He was yesterday, today and forever. He is the same God in the past, the present and the future for all generations. This God of the Bible is our God. He is your God. He is my God. He has not changed. Secondly, we see in the same verse we see here, they describe this God as the great and mighty. He is a powerful God. No matter what the situation it is for you, they have, they have walked through all the experience the forefathers have gone through. Now they are declaring with their own mouth, God, you are a great and mighty God. They have faced many burdens and bondages in their life, but God has brought them out with a mighty strong hand. They're looking at the history of Israel and they're reminded of the powerful way that the Almighty God had delivered them. He was more than able to meet whatever they had. Church, in the same way, I want to tell you this. No matter what situation that you're facing today, there may even be times when we feel as if we will, will we ever make it through this struggle that we are facing? There are times that you might want to give up. I'm tired, God. But I want you to acknowledge the same way they acknowledge who this God is. Great and mighty God. He'll never fail. I love this chorus. I sing it when I'm alone, when I'm, when I'm down, when, I, when, the, when the devil tries to steal my joy. I sing this chorus all the time on my own. You know, I'm not allowed to sing in the church. So that's, that's okay. Keith, I won't hold it against you. That's okay. But I sing it on my own. His strength is perfect when our strength is gone. He will carry us when we can't carry on. Raised by His power, the weak become strong. His strength is perfect. His strength is perfect. We should sing it one day in the church. Are you struggling with sin issues? Church, His strength is perfect. Are you in difficulties beyond your ability to handle? He is our refuge and strength. Are you weak and feeble of the life challenges? He wants to give you peace. He'll never fail you. He'll never leave you. He will never forsake you. For He is great and mighty. So in this verse in 32, we see He is our God. He says He is great and mighty. And thirdly, they say He is an awesome God. The King James translation, you know what the verse that's using? He is a terrible God. Oh my goodness, the terrible God, when I use it today, you guys might wonder what I'm talking about. But the real understanding, this is the word that was used by Israel and the others as they recognized God. He is a terrible God. The word has the idea of possessing a godly fear and reverence to be astonished, to stand in awe of God. Actually, it talks about the majesty and the holiness of God. So this our God, who is great and mighty, they're saying he has no tolerance for sin. The awesome God talks about his purity, about his holiness. So as the people considered the Lord, they stood in humble fear and admiration of him. They were literally astonished and in, the, and in awe of his glory. And that's what, he saw, what we saw in chapter 9, verse number 1. They assembled with fasting in sackcloth with dust on their heads. They stood and they confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. But today, church, sadly, 
the modern church has lost that somewhere along the way. The church has lost the fear of God and many no longer stand in awe of Him. We need to see God for all that He is, church. He's a God of love and mercy. He's a God of holiness. At the same time, He's a God of judgment. We need to humble ourselves. We need to come before Him and stand in a reverential fear. Next, we see in the same verse, He is not only our God, a great and mighty God, an awesome God, He keeps covenant and mercy. He's an everlasting God, a perpetual God. This spoke to my heart as I studied this passage, church, this particular verse. Take a moment to consider all that God has done to the children of Israel. Consider all He had given to them and the blessings they received. Now consider how they responded to His abundant blessing here as they look at this. How many times they have failed Him, but He is a God who kept His covenant and mercy. God would have been just to have destroyed every one of them and left them in bondage. But God was faithful. He kept His covenant with them. He dealt with them in mercy. He is a perpetual God. He is a consistent God. He never changes. He doesn't deal with humanity based on what we have earned or deserved. He deals with us according to His holy character. Church, if not for His mercy and unchanging nature, we too would have been consumed in our sins. So having identified who God is to them, their personal God, great and mighty God, awesome God, everlasting God, look at the next verse. They make a plea bargain with God. Interesting. Do not let all the trouble seem small before you that has come upon us, not only on us, but our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and on all your people from the days of the kings of Assyria until this day. Please, God, do not let all the trouble seem small before you. They are making a plea bargain. You know what a plea bargain is? That's what we ought to do. I looked at the definition of the word plea bargain. Plea bargain is an agreement between a defendant and a prosecutor in which the defendant agrees to plead guilty or no contest in exchange for an agreement by the prosecutor to drop one or more charges, reduce a charge to a less serious offense, or recommend to the judge a specific sentence acceptable to the defense. That's what a plea bargain is. So here the people acknowledge their iniquity and the iniquities of their forefather. They were not blaming God for their burdens. They knew God has been just in their dealings and there was no one to blame but themselves. They came before the Lord in repentance, seeking His forgiveness and healing. They pleaded with the Lord to cleanse them and to bring an end to their suffering. Church, remember this. We need to enter into a plea bargain. Not to justify our sinful behavior. Call the spade the spade. God is always holy and just in His dealings. There is nothing that we can hide from Him. If you are facing chastisement, it is deserved. We deserve it. It is no good to get angry or bitter with God. We must humble ourselves. We must repent of our sins and seek mercy and restoration in our lives. Every time I face trials in my life, church, 
Every time something won't go wrong, won't go right with me, I stop and ask myself, is there any unconfessed sin in me? If so, you deal with that. If not, if the Lord has permitted that in your life, it is done for His glory. Rejoice. That's what James talks about, isn't it? In verse chapter 1. Rejoice every time you face trials of different kinds. So from this case study so far, we have looked at three things. In order to break this cyclical behavior of the spiritual formation, first we must admit our current condition. Second, we should confess the cause of our condition. Thirdly, we need to acknowledge. And lastly, we should make and write and seal a covenant. Look at verse number 38. And because of all this, we make a sure covenant and write it. Wow, I love it. Our leaders, our Levites and our priests, seal it. The people were ready for a new yoke here, here as we look at this. Because of all this, because of what? Because you are a God. You are our God who keeps your covenant and mercy, God. This is their plea. Because you are our God, you are great and mighty, you are awesome, and you are worthy to be praised. Because of our own failure, because of our sins, we suffered, we became slaves in our own land, we lost all the wealth to the pagans, we are in great distress. When they were prosperous, their arrogance caused them to disobey your commands, God, your laws, and their apostate state brought their downfall. In their desperation, when they cried out, you came through, you by your grace and mercy, as you are a God who keeps covenant and mercy, restored them to prosperity. Then in their bounty, they disobeyed again, and the whole cycle started again and again and again. Lord, we want to break, well, break through here. We want to break that cycle. We are willing to do. We want to make a sure covenant and write it and seal it. In essence, this is what they are saying, church. Lord, Help us now to be faithful to this covenant. Lord, we are in sackcloth with dust on our heads. We have separated from all foreigners. Here we are confessing our sins and the iniquities of our fathers. We have lost our condition. Unlike our forefathers, we want to make right and seal a covenant. If you want to break from that cycle in your spiritual formation, church, we need that type of renewal in our day. We need to open our eyes to the needs of our day and throw off the yoke of sin. We need to forsake the ways of the flesh and seek the ways of God. We cannot have it both ways and that will never work, church. We cannot serve the Lord and honor Him and be yoked up with the world at the same time. Let us adhere to these four steps that we learned today. Admit our condition. Address the cause and, and be open with the Lord, the consequences of my sin. And acknowledge who our God is, our personal God, the God who is great and mighty, the God who is awesome, the God who keeps the covenant. Let us renew our covenant with Him today. Then the cyclical behavior will be broken when our eyes are on the Lord. The temptation will be bounced off. The Lord says this in the book of Isaiah. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. I want to show you the same picture again. And as you come to the Lord, when you bring that cross in between church, 
between the prosperity and the arrogance. Your thoughts and your actions will be bounced off at the cross. And it quickly comes back to repentance and comes back to restoration. You will never go on this side of the cross where the arrogance and the apostasy and the judgment will come upon you because that has been paid at the cross. So I, my appeal to all of you, please come. The Lord is saying, come now. Let us reason together. Let us break this cyclical behavior. Let us pray, church. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for these children of Israel. Thank you that even in the midst of all those bondage and struggles and, and, and challenges in their lives, they were able to pause and, and reflect and come to you with a, with a contrite heart and, and openly admit their condition their pitiful condition. And they were able to admit and address the cause that, 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 that really, really happened in their lives of God, the consequences of their sin and what, what really caused that to happen. And they were able to acknowledge that you are their God, a personal God, a mighty God, a great God, an awesome God, a holy God, with no tolerance for sin. But yet you keep your covenant and mercy. And as they come and as they plead with you for a new renewal of their covenant today, to make it, to write it, and to seal it, I plead with you in the name of Jesus that as the body of Christ, as this church, the seekers, every one of us, Father, this morning we come to you, responding to your call. Come now and let us reason together. And we thank you for the promise that we find, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. They are, though they are like red crimson, they shall be as wool. And we thank you, Master, that you can cleanse us. So we commit our lives to you. Pray that you'll allow us now to be faithful to this new covenant. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen and Amen.